my mother. It's my mother. What are you talking about my mother? I am not afraid to die. Welcome to the Zeit. Zeit? We're here to peel back the metaphorical onion on the intersection of capitalism, clothing, sponsorships, which for legal reasons we cannot disclose, tequila, and modern movies. Collectively brought to you by ourselves, KY. And Bradford. Do you want to kick us off? What's this week's episode of The Zeit? So this week on The Zeit, we're talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I don't know if you were referring to my letterbox before, if, if that's what, what you're talking about <laughs> as far as top movies goes, but you are correct. This was in my top four movies. Well, I guess you can only, you can only display your top four in letterbox, right? As you're like yeah, your top movies. Right. This, yeah, this was in that top four for a while. And this might sound misleading, but after I rewatched this movie... In preparation for this episode, I removed Spider-Man from my top movies. I think it's it's definitely still a top seven, I would say. Top four, wow. though, I swapped it out with Whiplash. Who? <laughs> I almost feel like I had to because I've never considered Whiplash to be one of my favorite movies, even though I think it's fucking awesome. But... I realized that it's actually this the one movie that I've watched the most amount of times in my life. Really? That's very yeah. interesting. And we should dive into that. No at joke. Some point. I think I've watched Whiplash a minimum of twenty five times. That is nutso, as the kids say. <laughs> yeah. In nineteen eighty. <laughs> That's wild. Why why do you think that that is? I feel like that we need to unpick this or pick this. I can't use my words tonight. We need to uncover what this says about KY's underlying psychology. That Whiplash is your most Yeah, there's movie. definitely a lot to say. You see yourself yeah. as a struggling jazz musician? In some ways. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some sense, Whiplash has been my personal totem for the latter half of my life. That's a great description. I like it. Well, I'm actually really surprised to hear that it was toppled. Not necessarily by wh- Whiplash. But I do remember it being on your list or the top your top four list as long as I can remember ever since you first watched it and you told me how great it was. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Well, some thoughts I should say on that as well with regard to the second watching of it. But I also came into it, I think, really expecting to not like it, which I so I don't want to give it too much away because we're still kind of doing the intro piece. But let's do the... I felt the same, exact same way as you when yeah. I first watched it. Like, I'm not... A Spider-Man fan, right? This is not in my wheelhouse at all. Yeah. So wait, let's not blow our load too early. Yeah. yeah, So let's say, so we're talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This was a KY special, although I certainly was highly supportive of watching it. It supplanted, surmounted the previous plan, which was to watch the newest trilogy of the Planet of the Apes, which hard thing to do to supplant the planet of the apes but sorry i'm just pulling out my notes but i actually took notes this time and i actually wrote down the things that i've been recently watching oh wow this is big for you because i well we've switched uh (laughs) we've switched i don't want to feel that sense of panic anymore (laughs) i'm feeling it right now i we switched roles because i didn't take no well i took a few notes on into the spider-verse but i didn't take any notes on what I've been watching or really anything else. So I just moved houses on Friday. And so it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I was catching into the Spider-Verse between furniture moves and like... like mid-drive. Yeah. <laughs> just watching it while driving <laughs> the, the truck. <laughs> it's very yeah. safe. No, but I was catching it in like 30, 30 minute snippets before I passed out at night. Let's get into that later, but I wanted to say one thing up front. I am going to sound a little bit sniffly right now because I'm having some sort of allergic reaction to something. And what are you reacting I have a couple, to? I have a couple hunches on what it might be. Well, I want to lead with the first thing, which is 
after three and a half days of homeownership, of new homeownership, I've determined that the the primary role of being a homeowner is to exterminate all life forms other than human beings on your property. And I didn't really appreciate this because people have always been exterminating stuff for me on my property. I've been an apartment <laughs> renter like you. I was like, ah, oh, there's no bugs here. There just must not be bugs that live in this building. <laughs> yeah. That's not natural, it turns out. It turns out you have to use... It's like there's a human out there that's doing that on your behalf. Exactly. And I was indirectly paying, or directly possibly for that human... Double paying. ...to kill everything. And uh, let's just say that the burden of mass murder of insects and rodents has now fallen onto my shoulders as a homeowner. And... Long way of saying, I've been using a lot of, I've been handling a lot of poisons for the first time. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't think I poisoned myself, but there's a small chance that... I thought you were about to say like, yeah, so I actually washed my mouth with um, (laughs) borax. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I think think that would do it. (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever tried Roundup? on <laughs> as a deodorant <laughs> i thought it would kill the most bacteria i could tell that you were struggling with some sort of burden and i guess it's not surprising that it's the burden of home ownership <laughs> and a mortgage but <laughs> well i mean we haven't even gotten started with what it's like to be burdened by late western capitalism but our listeners probably know our opinions on that <laughs> yeah Oh, boy. Well, for now, I would love to hear, KY, you've been watching quite a lot. So let's talk through what are our top hits on what you've been streaming, watching. What do you recommend, not recommend to our 60-odd listeners slash me and KY listening 60 times on repeat to our own voices? (laughs) So I just want to say to whoever those unique users are, subscribers out there that are listening to this podcast... If we were to adjust for the amount of times that Bradford, you and I have played our own episodes to boost the play count, I think we have at least five subscribers, loyal subscribers. So we just want to say we appreciate you guys. Yeah, means a lot. Don't float the mainstream. I made that up, that catchphrase. Don't float the mainstream. Yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) Anyway, we're definitely going to reward that because we do tend to get super deep. And within, let's say, for example, the three and a half hour cut of the soul episode we did, we pulled out 45 minutes of what we thought was the most tantalizing content. Scintillating. But there's a B-side to that. And that's the type of stuff that we're going to start airing more and more the more you guys listen, is that hard shit. <laughs> yeah. The more you listen, the more boring this podcast is going <laughs> to become. The less, the less diligently KY is going to edit this podcast. So keep it up, exactly. guys. Let's talk about what we've been consuming. Well, I the reason why I hate talking about our consumption habits is because we... <laughs> I don't like publicly projecting the fact that we fall prey to the tyranny of the consumptive world. Mm. And anyway, (laughs) not really sure where that came from. (laughs) I don't know, but I liked it. What have you been out of your own choice unrelated to the incentive structures of late Western capitalism been consuming? So hit me with your top couple, top three. What do you recommend? Okay, so here's here's my top three. Wildlife. Have you heard of this weird indie with Jake Gyllenhaal, obviously, and Carrie Mulligan? <laughs> no, I haven't heard of this. It's not a Netflix. Okay, it's on Netflix, not a Netflix movie, but here's the premise. A teenage boy must deal with his mother's complicated response after his father temporarily abandons them to take a menial and dangerous job. So... It tells you absolutely nothing, and it's one of those movies where absolutely nothing really happens. It's like a small sequence of events, but I feel like what I've loved about watching these indies 
and it's like, yeah, I kind of go through phases of like watching a bunch of indies and like blockbuster movies and stuff like that. I love and so much appreciate. And like, I remember this particularly so after I watched Nomadland for like the third time, but there's something so amazing about the directors who can just find like the most impeccable, amazing framing of a shot yeah. with no CGI, no special effects, absolutely nothing. Just here is this incredible shot of like something in our world, something average that looks extraordinary. Yeah. And then one to two incredible, talented actors conversing on screen. Yeah. There's something so amazing about that and so pure. And I think this movie gets to the heart of that. Jake Gyllenhaal, my heartthrob, if you will. If I remember correctly, last time we discussed Jake, you said that he's the type of guy you'd really like to just sit in a dark room with in silence. Dark sexual fantasies about Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, this this movie does not disappoint in the Jake Gyllenhaal category. There's something so powerful about his performance because if I remember correctly, he's only in maybe half of the entire movie, the first half predominantly. And he shows up a little bit at the end, but most of the movie is not really about him. It's about the impact that his decisions cause on his family. Interesting. And the other part of this is Carrie Mulligan. So I'm not like a huge Carrie Mulligan fan. It's not like I've seen a ton of her stuff, but Inside Lewin Davis, obviously, yes, phenomenal movie, and she was great in that. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about her aside from that movie, and I have to say, this is her best performance that I've ever seen, and I've only ever seen these two movies with her. So I would highly recommend watching this because just the interplay between her and Jake Gyllenhaal and the incredible cinematography, it's its a must-watch. Wow. Very high praise. Glad to hear it. What Hit us with what else you got. So the next is, I've been lately on this Werner Herzog binge. Wow. Because I watched Fireball on, on Apple TV, his, his latest documentary. You know, I, I've seen a bunch of his stuff, but not... There, there are a couple of important ones that I have not seen from him. So I created this full list of things that I that I wanted to watch. And Grizzly Man. Oh, that's I forgot that's Herzog. It doesn't seem like the typical Herzog type of doc or something that he would want to cover. And like, I don't know about you, but do you remember when this happened? I think we're maybe in like high school or college when that guy, Timothy Treadwell, died and he was ripped apart by a bear. And we just heard it on the news as like a headline. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that is fucking crazy. This guy is a lunatic and that's it. I don't know any of the backstory. I don't care. Now I care. I care a lot. I care okay, a lot. I want to know his full story. The interesting part of this is almost the entirety of the footage, especially within the wilderness, was not filmed by Werner Herzog. This is all it was him, self-filmed right? yeah. by Timothy Treadwell. And I think what struck me the most about this doc was what I expected to see, essentially, was basically an intimate look at a man living amongst wild animals that he respected and loved without any fear. And I think what was so shocking to me was what I instead saw was a story of this incredibly tortured man battling his inner demons out in the wilderness and essentially living in constant fear of his own humanity in a way. And it was super unsettling in my mind once I came to the realization that ultimately this documentary is about the fact that this man felt so alone in his life that he eventually got to a point where he was unable to connect with any other human being on earth and actually felt sort of estranged from his own species. And he basically spent like the last part of his life just running through the wild and into the comforting arms of these wild animals because I think his thought process was, I mean, you look at any wild animal, really any animal, domesticated animal as well, in most cases they treat you without any 
judgment or preconceived notions. They don't hold grudges. It's kind of like a very take people as they are sort of perspective. And I think there's something so simplistic, but also very pure about how he found that reception from animals and how he felt like, okay, this is the one place on earth where I feel like I can be myself. Yeah. And so seeing that struggle openly through the film footage, through the commentary, and then kind of like the conclusion of it was fucking wild. <laughs> like, I had never really appreciated this doc until recently. That's great. That's a throwback because that came out a while ago, right? I actually remember trying to watch that in, I think, college and not being able to get through it. I don't know if it just hit me close to home or maybe I was also too baked at the time and feeling also estranged. <laughs> but I remember like literally, I mean, I'm kind of sound like I'm joking and I, I kind of am, but yeah, I remember being like struck super hard by it and actually turning it off halfway through being like, this is just yeah. like, I'll, I'll take this some other time. This is super dark. Not works at all where I expected to take yeah. it. Cause it kind of starts off. I don't want to say lighthearted, but it's a super, it's really yeah, compelling you, you know with the going. bears. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, wow, this is yeah, really... exactly. You're just like, okay, I get to see these like fucking massive grizzly bears just doing their natural thing. And then like, obviously there's an hour and a half left in the movie. He's like going to live through these experiences. And you're like, wow, this is cool. And then it goes to the dark place where you're like, like you said, it starts to occur to you exactly what's going on in his life and probably a lot of other people's lives. And I think your insight about the baseline level of non-judgment and, and respect that non-humans give you, which is, again, something that resonates with me as a new homeowner who's attempting to exterminate all non-human fauna in my area. <laughs> Flora so, and fauna. <laughs> flora, some of the flora could stay. <laughs> All right, you uh, you said you had one more. Let's hit it. So th the last one, also a uh, Werner Herzog doc, Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Oh, the last the time I saw this was it with when me. Was the last time I saw this, maybe. I think it was I, with I me. Just, I remember being like four bong rips deep, and yeah, it was probably the most spiritual experience I've had. <laughs> God, it's so good. It's weirdly good it's like it doesn't the sum of it, it is weirdly good it shouldn't work it shouldn't work it does <laughs> yeah. it, i can't explain i feel like we have a lot of a, we both have like a lot of theory you probably still have a theory about this one i have a lot of wild theories about why things work and don't my theories might not be right but at least i have them this one it's like i don't get it i, I remember like the individual scenes that he put together and i'm like that's weird why did i enjoy that so much but it is such a beautiful beautiful movie well documented it really is and i feel like in a slightly different way but also a very similar way he reaches the types of highs and the type of beauty that you get from like a paul thomas anderson and the way that he matches a score with just an incredible still shot yeah. of something in That's motion a great point. there's something so fucking artistic about that in its purest form and I guess for, for everyone's context, essentially Werner Herzog's film crew gets access to this completely sealed off cave in France where the oldest cave paintings reside. I mean, we're talking 30,000 plus years old. I think it's probably because the setup is so effective, which which I think your summary was dead on and all you need to know. But the the setup he does so well, which is with those panoramic shots and the interviews with these sort of crusty French uh, archaeologists and his, and also some historians talking about the gravity of human art, what it means to be human, and like what traces of humanity from 30,000 years ago can tell us like about ourselves and about both the ephemerality and the immortality of the human soul and you're like and you're like thinking about all this shit and then you're like seeing these gay paintings and you're like oh my god i get it and then it like of course it leaves you when the documentary ends but yeah it's quite the epiphany and also i love how i think there was that one professor or someone that was that had recreated that the spear throwing yeah tool and Werner Herzog's just roasting this guy as he's like struggling to use this weapon. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But yeah, ba basically, as as soon as I rewatched it, I was like, okay, first of all, I'm buying it. So I bought it. Uh, so now I own it. Good. 
And I saw the funniest letterbox review after I watched this <laughs> that I just want to read out here. <laughs> Please. So they start off by quoting Werner Herzog in one of the monologues that he's giving. And they say, it is like you are creating the phone directory of Manhattan. Four million precise entries. But do they dream? Do they cry at night? And then this person comments, barely a week goes by in which I don't think of Herzog's two-question dismantling of statistical data as a useful tool for understanding human beings. Or that perfume expert who can smell caves. <laughs> Again, for anyone who hasn't listened or watched that, who's listening to this right now, if you've seen it, you get it. But if you haven't, ignore what we're saying right now. Honestly, turn off the podcast and go watch this movie. Then come back and maybe you'll appreciate that review as much as we do. That is hilarious. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but do they dream? <laughs> do they cry? At it's just, oh, that's too good. Well, I just, you're putting me deeply to that's shame. That's what I got for you. <laughs> yeah, I just see the panic in your eyes. I'm panicking. Uh, yes, as you can see in my eyes, that are it's the poison. And I think, honestly, I think we should just end the podcast right here. I have two things, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on either of them because I'm just at the beginning of both the two series. Uh, one is slightly newer, but even not that new. And one is a real throwback. So let me start you. I'm going to lay down what I think is an interesting experiment that I decided to go about with my wife, Jess. So... We were thinking to ourselves, we miss Game of Thrones. And we honestly, we miss the weekly nature of a great top tier television show that comes out like on HBO at 9 p.m. on Sundays. Because I like that anticipation. I also like the forced social atmosphere that that brings. And we started one of these existing HBO series. There's that new one about, it's basically like Victorian X-Men remake which is very self-aware X-Men remake. There's the HBO show, The Nevers. So let me tell you what the summary of The Nevers is, even though I'm not going to really talk about it. It's an epic tale following a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission that just might change the world. Anyway, it's basically X-Men, but like Professor X is this woman who has psychic powers like Professor X. Anyway, long story short is we were like trying to recreate the Game of Thrones, watch every Sunday experience. Couldn't do it. Trash. So we were like, what are we doing? Why do we need to wait for a great new show to come out when we have all these great shows that we know exist in the past that we could just watch one of every Sunday? And so this is about three weeks ago, but we decided we were like, we're going to make a pact. And what we're going to do is we're going to rewatch The Sopranos. No. From beginning to end, dude. <laughs> one, one episode every the Sunday. The fucking best. I, I want to go back to the time period where I'd never watched Sopranos so I can rewatch it for the first time. I mean, it is so... I am having so much fun with The Sopranos. It's such a good show. And like I find myself thinking that I'm like Tony Soprano. We're on episode five, so it's been about a month of us watching it. And every Sunday... Season we, two is so fucking good. I think that was one of the best of all time. My mother. It's my mother. What are you talking about my mother? It's so <laughs> it's so good. And it's I'm just really recommend doing this. And I and you have to do it with someone else because like you said, if you're doing it alone, like most people watch binge streaming, you're gonna break down with a great show like The yeah. Sopranos. But every time like I'm like, we should just watch one more tonight, she's like, No, no, we made a promise. And then like the next week she's gonna be like, I'm just gonna turn on the next one. I'm like, No, we laid down the law and it's been <laughs> Anyway, it's been like really fun as a ritual and I recommend doing it. And obviously the Sopranos, I don't even need to explain yeah, that's what awesome. that is. It's great. Rewatch it. The other thing that I just, or I just uh, watched the first two episodes of in a brief moment between unpacking is Formula One Drive to Survive. The so Netflix good. On Netflix. So and good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's taking at least our friend group by storm. I don't know if I'm late on this or what but i think i am but uh, i guess it's already in the first few seasons but i don't think many of at least my close friends have really watched it yet and i feel like everyone's now texting me about like the race coming up like people who definitely never watched 
Formula yeah. One. And at first I was like, what are these dudes? Like at some TV show just made you want to watch Formula One. It is it's really well done. Like I am, I, I can't wait to keep watching it. So I think, again, I think I'm behind the eight ball on this, but, but yeah, I just really liked that I could pick that up out of nowhere and it's not too complicated of a story, but it's actually a really complex, interesting, it, it balances that. I don't need to spend a bunch of time thinking about the plot, but I get insight into a really complex and interesting entity like, you know, Formula One racing. So anyway, recommend that one as well. Don't recommend the Nevers and you know what to do with the Sopranos. So that's what I've been watching. Nice. That's great. Plus those F1 drivers. So I'm not one of those people that saw it and has felt like I need to go watch the races yet, but I'll I'll get there. (laughs) But these guys are also just so fucking cool. They're all just such ball. I mean, it's like what, like less than 20 guys in the world. You have like thousands and thousands of drivers trying to take their spots at any given moment. (laughs) Yeah. And like, they're at the pinnacle of something that is so rare and difficult to do. And they're like putting them their lives on the line every time. And they're just so fucking cool Dude, while they do so it. So cool. You have to have some nuts. It's There's so few things out there these days that are like legitimate professions that you can become famous at that you can lead off the interview with, I am not afraid to die. Like, I feel like that's like episode <laughs> one. They start interviewing the, <laughs> yeah. the driver for um, the driver for the American crew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, the very first thing he says is, I am not afraid to die. It's like, <laughs> it's like I can't say that about my job. <laughs> and if I could, I would, I am afraid to die. So great, great insight. Honestly, great lineup all around. Some oldies and some some newbies. How about we jump into the feature? Yeah. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we are covering KY's first top, now fallen, perhaps, one of his favorite movies. And also one that, of course, you'll hear about my opinions on, but I enjoyed a lot. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And so to kick off our feature, just as a reminder to listeners... We spoil up front because we can't control ourselves. So if you haven't watched it, listen on, consider yourself spoiled, or pause here, go watch it, and come back and hear some hot takes. I mean, there there may not be any spoilers. We don't we don't know. You know, that that's the great thing about this show is we literally don't know what's going to come out of our mouths. Well, it's his uncle is the bad guy. So I'm just going to throw that out there in case. It, so. Hope you stopped listening. Ah, uh, so good. <laughs> but that's true. And that's I our didn't show know I was today. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to say that until you said you didn't know what we were going to say. And so, let me do a quick intro. Yeah, let's do a quick IMDb. Exactly. Read yeah. out. Exactly. So, teen Miles Morales becomes the Spider-Man of his universe and must join with five spider-powered individuals from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. Also, his uncle is the bad guy. Well, one of the bad guys. That's not in here. Also, who writes these? I really don't like that description. That description is garbage. It's a little too on the nose, in my opinion, and super anticlimactic. It gives a lot of way, you know? It really does. Yeah, and and it gives, gives it away in, like, the wrong way. You know, if you're going to give it away, give it away in a good way. I couldn't agree more. So that's the IMDb version of what happened. And honestly, I think that actually does perfectly lead into what I, how I want to introduce the film, which is I really wanted to hate it. I didn't even want to hate it the first time I watched it, which was only on your recommendation. Even after watching it and not hating it, I then wanted to hate it again, <laughs> watching it a second time. And I was like ready to like bash it on this podcast with you. And it doesn't. And I, I have... A lot of, you know, a lot of things that I have hunches on why we don't hate it. And, uh, but like the things that were conspiring to make it a bad movie were the production of it. The fact that it is a yet another outrageous take, like sequel, sequel, double sequel on something that we're really just not even that into, you know, like an okay, interesting superhero character. Um, Yeah. Just really quick. I just want to say yeah on that last point. It's actually hilarious how both of us are couldn't be further from being any semblance of a fan of Spider-Man. I don't well, I don't know about you, but I always thought Spider-Man was just super lame, you know? 
So lame. And it's like, especially like you got like Tobey Maguire and that whole thing, which is like, okay, it was like cool. But when you compare it to like Batman, Spider-Man's stupid. It's like, this is not a real superhero. Is what I think makes this movie okay is the fact that they make it not about the super necessarily. Well, which is also why Batman's good is because Batman is about like a torn, dark individual. Let's not get into Batman, but I think one of the reasons why Spider-Man is good is it's not like he's not like clearly superior in some specific way. And it's like, he's struggling with that. And, and I just want to say that, um, I really didn't want to like it every time. And fuck man, I just, the thing that they always hit me with, right. And then I'm going to pass it over to you that right when the movie starts is I'm like, I just love these people. The characters are so lovable. I just, I love them. I want them to love each other. So well-written. There's something about them that just gets deep inside you. Despite everything that they do, they throw in there. Spider-Man, the like kind of weird niche social commentary they're doing with his family and all this stuff. Like, I'm like, it's going to be, you're like, it has all of the makings of being an on the nose, sort of over the top, heavy handed common. And it's just not, it's just, I just love everyone. I love him, uh, Miles, I love his dad, his mom, the relationship that he has with his friends and his family. I mean, dude, what a move. Anyway, so that's my thought. I want to toss that back to you. Is that what uh, also what grips you or what, it, what talk to me, what sort of gets you going about this movie? Yeah, I totally agree. What's incredible is, well, I think there are two incredible things. The first being, like you mentioned, there, there are at least a thousand different ways and places where this movie could have gone horribly wrong. Like the margin of error, the needle that they're threading here is it's incredible that this movie even exists. Right. And they like made this thing and we're just watching it and it's amazing. (laughs) You know, like how the fuck did this collective group of people make the right decisions collectively to get us to this point where we have this thing? It's, it's incredible. And like, I'm still not like super into Spider-Man after this, but I am into no. Miles Morales and his representation of Spider-Man. And the second thing that I thought was amazing, just like from a purely technical standpoint, is the like creativity of the animation I thought was so cool. Oh, I agree. That's one of my notes as well. One of my like five notes. There, there's so <laughs> many fucking cool things where last time we were talking about Pacific Rim and I was talking about how you know the oversaturation of a lot of the colors and stuff makes it seem like a comic book come to life and this is literally a comic book come to life yes but still retaining a lot of the comic booky things as if you're literally reading a comic book and it's really your imagination that's animating the things in front of you right but not over the top it's like yeah the little abstractions like the little vibrations that come yeah when he's Spidey's senses are tinkling or when he's singing the songs uh you know occasionally you'll see like a vibration through the air like a con anyway it's i couldn't agree more it's wild because you could again threading the needle that could have gone so poorly you reminded me of one more thing which i thought tied this entire thing together incredibly well was the soundtrack and Mm, all these incredible modern artists creating these songs about the emotional feeling of Miles Morales' character arc, his journey, and writing songs specific for this movie, which I thought was yeah. super cool. And some of these are just bangers. Like Sunflower, the first time I watched this movie, dude, dude I, I listened to Sunflower on repeat for like months on end. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, the production value on that is so, so good. I mean, the artists, just the writing and the thought with which went into this is so so top-notch again it's like why can't we get these people working on something that is like not spider-man like let's get all these guys together but maybe maybe it's the the strictures of a spider-man comic book that makes the creativity come out like that because yeah the soundtrack the writing the animation it's just they really threaded the needle. an example that i wanted to mention when you brought up the animation comic book come to life is a bad version in my opinion of this is kick-ass I don't know if you remember Kick-Ass, but yeah. they tried to <laughs> overlay Cage. some of the... the con- <laughs> Which, uh, Nick Cage, I love him. Don't get me wrong. He's but a legend. Legend. They overlaid some of the comic book animations on a live action movie. And it just, 
it like you're kind of like uh, like a little cringy so i think bad, in my yeah. opinion while there's parts of the movie that are funny i just wanted to say like there are clear actual examples in the real world of it not working i think and it's just more of a reason to think you know they did a good good work here yeah totally agree so i only took a couple of notes because i feel like once you finish the movie you kind of walk away with this deep feeling of emotions you know as kind of like the main <laughs> takeaway and yeah i think there are probably two different moments in the movie where you know if somebody's chopping onions in the house your eyes are gonna feel it for sure <laughs> you know <laughs> i agree that's a tearjerker yeah at the end of the day i thought reflecting on this movie so I, i've seen this movie a, a bunch of times so what's crazy is the first time i saw it was somewhat by accident and i was like all right i'll just check this shitty movie out <laughs> and i watched it and i was so blown away i watched it three times in those first two days <laughs> and then i've probably watched it seven eight times in total yeah i guess like the main reflection that i have in thinking about this episode was it's i mean it's very similar to a lot of the themes that we have been talking about since the very beginning of the zeit which is the hero the individual hero what does that actually mean? How do you define a hero? And how do you portray a character like that in a movie that you end up caring about? And I think we've seen through Endgame and Pacific Rim instances where that works really well or it doesn't work at all for certain reasons. And so that was kind of my main thing is I think Miles Morales is a hero in the truest, most human sense of the word. And does so in a way that is so accessible to normal people that it allows anyone to embody his mindset of being an ordinary person and doing something extraordinary out of something you thought was impossible. Defying the odds. Yeah, but my favorite version of that is early on in the movie, Miles is like, they do this whole thing where like Spider-Man is, is like about to die or is getting beat up. And he's like, you just found out he has powers and he stands up and he's like, I should go help him. And you're like, ready for that to be the moment. Like in a lot of these superhero movies where like the superhero legitimately he would, goes Yeah, that would be life. the moment where he, yeah. And then he goes, he goes, what am I talking about? I'm scared of shit. Like, I'm not going to go help him. And he sits back down and hides <laughs> behind the box and Spider-Man <laughs> dies. <laughs> and you're like, hold, you're like, that's exactly what I would do in that situation. I wouldn't be yeah. like, so I just thought. Anyway, what you just said resonated a lot, obviously. I think that's a good example of what we mean. I, I love that because that is exactly what anyone would do, no matter what they tell themselves. And that's exactly what you would not do if you were writing a superhero movie. Yeah, it's so tempting. As someone who's legitimately tried to write stories like this before, it's really tempting when you have a setup like that. The easy thing is actually to have the superhero go and do the heroic thing. The hard thing is to tie the story into being more like down to earth and make it compelling. Um, but anyway, I threw you way off. No, I mean, I think that's that's an awesome point. I also loved how, given that there are literally multiple Spider-Men and women, you know, in this movie, all together, it essentially forces this perspective from the viewer that there's nothing particularly unique about a superhero in terms of having these this specific set of skills and this magical power and you are destined one to save New York or whatever the fuck it is, right? It's literally like there's something so innate about what it takes for a human to become their own hero of their own story that is also individualistic to each one of those spider people and just really anyone, right? I think they're actually multiple heroes that are outside of the spider people in this movie. I thought that was a really powerful message to send, especially when every other superhero movie makes it about, hey, this really unique and crazy thing happened to this creature or person. And for those reasons, they are uniquely capable of only doing this one thing that you can't do. Yeah, that's a really great point. It just is a further magnification of the point you made earlier about it's about your own experience and struggle versus, yeah, being chosen, which are really the two of the major archetypes for the superhero, which they managed to really tie nicely and contrast here. The archetypes being the self-made superhero 
Obviously, certain events could lead to making more likely that you're self-made, but it's the self-struggle and realization versus the chosen one sort of scenario. Anyway, are you done? I wanted to summarize my thoughts here as well, but what's your, did you have an additional key emotional takeaway? I know you were summarizing those. Yeah, I I mean, we can definitely get deeper into it after some of your thoughts, but I also thought I would share. So I own this movie on iTunes, obviously, and obviously. And it comes with this alternate cut, full length. It's like two and a half hours. And really, I think it's called the alternate universe mode or something. They don't even call it a cut. And you just like click on this thing. And it's a complete, almost a completely different movie. And what? Basically what they did was it starts off with a basically a parody of a old school, I don't know, what is it? Like a Warner Brothers cartoon with Porky the Pig. But he's Spider Pig. And and then it cuts into the real movie. And then they also include in all of the alternate intended scenes that they had storyboarded, I guess. And it, it literally shows like the raw drawings with rough dialogue and stuff they put over it as something I think they considered making the movie a completely different way. And it's funny because that whole cut goes through the journey of Miles Morales hanging out much more with his roommate and his roommate becoming like a huge figure in both of them together, helping him become Spider-Man, much like the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad they decided against it because I thought that's a different movie and it doesn't get to the same level of depth that we got. Honestly, that just goes to show, again, the writing strength. I think that, I mean, so much of writing strength comes from a willingness to manage and cut and rewrite and that's so that's fascinating that they seem to have done that so effectively and walked away from what's a, the tra- one of the traditional ways of telling the spider-man story yeah i mean there's not a ton for me to say that you haven't brought up i i, I wanted to say that it's on the brink of being i think a very good movie but there's a couple reasons why it's not and why i don't think it's going to fall very high on our patented zeit rating scale for me in terms of historical which is of course for those who don't know that's one of our two axes on the patented zeit rating scale historical import and of course entertainment value and so the reason i think that it doesn't work is well I agree, so again to be clear i agree with all the positives that you mentioned and love the animation love the how lovable the characters are i mean truly lovable Definitely let's hear you sh- let's I hear you shit this. on the movie bradford <laughs> but but uh well i just want to be upfront because what the reason i'm going to sh- the way i'm going to shit on it requires you to understand that i actually think those things are good but the reason it doesn't work is that they fall too short so movies can be good for a handful multiple reasons and i feel like they fell too short on a couple of them truly great movies and i mean like great movies is in the type of thing that's going to be impactful for how people think about movies and writing movies and watching movies for years to come if you're successful in the character development style it needs to be i don't want to use the word quotable but it needs to be like so well written that there are bomb drops going on in the writing that are just poetic not and i don't mean like in a fucking iambic pentameter but i mean like it needs the dialogue needs to be so good that people are quoting the dialogue because otherwise it's just and, and frankly most of it's mush like it's really good character development super entertaining and again they do such a good job making me love the characters but i couldn't tell you a single fucking thing miles says like not a single thing and that's because it's not very memorable. Even if he's supposed to be like you and me, he needs to say some shit that's memorable. And the same goes for all the other characters. It's just not that memorable. And same goes with the animation. The animation, like we talked about, so well done. They really thread the needle on something that's difficult to do. But it's not revolutionary or like really that that far off the beaten path. And and that's why I look at it and I'm like, wow, this is better than I expected it to be. But like, I don't say anything more than that. I'm just like, this is fine. I don't, and again, I mentioned I went back to watch it the second time. There's a reason why I went into watching it a second time wanting to hate it. That's because my memory of it had all become mush after watching it the first time. And then when I watched it during the movie, I was like, wow, I love this. Like so, having so much fun. I'm like falling in love with these people all over again. And then now it's been like 24 hours since I finished it or whatever it is, you know, over the last few days. And again, it's already becoming mush in my mind again. And I think it goes back to like, Either the story needs to be 
symbolic or parable-esque enough where I'm remembering the lessons learned from the story or the writing needs to be so good that I'm remembering the, you know, Shakespearean quality of it. That's, that's super high framing of it. But like, there's all sorts of examples of good writing, right? I mean, like that we can talk through or even bad writing that's memorable, like level five kaiju. <laughs> but, but I think that there's, it's just missing. It gets like a B plus on everything and it makes it a really enjoying, enjoyable movie, but it just doesn't stick. And I, I think as much as I, as much as I hate to say it, I think I, I come away not loving it and um, highly recommending it as a watch. And I'm not trying to summarize, I'm not going to give it the rating yet, but recommending it as a watch, but like, doesn't have that much to say. I'm ready to give it my rating, but unless, do you have anything else you want to dive into on your notes b- deeper before we do that? Yeah, I think the last thing was I just wanted to tie it all together with a bunch of the other movies that we've talked about because when I was watching it again, I realized there are actually a lot of interesting similarities in terms of the initial becoming hero journey as The Matrix. And hmm. <laughs> now... Not to get too deep into the Matrix, but this is just surface level stuff. You know when Neo first goes to the Oracle and the Oracle's like, well, I'm going to tell him what he needs to hear, which is that he's not the one, right? Yeah. And in hearing what he needed to hear, it's like he is the one if he chooses to be. And when he himself in his own mind can drop all doubt and he begins to believe, then he can become a superhero. That's why when Trinity is you know, in that helicopter going over the side of the building and he just starts grabbing the rope. It's like, yeah, what can the outcome possibly be? And Morpheus is like, he's beginning to believe, It's <laughs> which is just an all-time God, So quote. good. And um, so good. Miles Morales and, and Neo both start their hero journeys at the top of a building on the rooftop and I think literally and figuratively have to jump off the roof and let go of all fear. And I think based on the stuff I was remembering from our float state conversation in the soul episode, I think (laughs) for us as normal human beings, our biggest limiting factor for reaching the flow state is coincidentally the same as theirs. It's getting over the fear and doubt that limits you from getting to that flow state. Right. So basically the point I'm trying to make here is that like us reaching flow state is yeah, us jumping off the roof of a building, sticking the landing and being a fucking superhero. The biggest things, biggest, like most fulfilling accomplishments that you and I and like normal people go through, it usually ends up feeling like you are having to jump off a skyscraper and you don't know what you're going to do when you get to the bottom. And when you can stick yeah. those landings, that's when amazing shit happens in like your career or like your personal life and stuff like that, right? Wow. Extremely well said. I mean, honestly, we should just end it right there. <laughs> I don't need, we don't need to rate this. I, I don't. This is the reason why I love this movie is because it just gets me thinking about this particular line of thinking based on his character, but I totally agree with you that it's definitely not a perfect movie. Well, we also are going to disagree from time to time. And, and honestly, the way that you framed that right there, I mean, that's it's beautiful. I'm, I'm on board, but you know, I'm not, we'll take that from different, different movies and great, fantastic defense. Um, if that's even what you're doing, but fantastic summary, I think of, of what we should take away from that. So yeah, really, really well said. Again, we're going to give our patented Zeit rating, which for our many, many first-time listeners involves a rating across two axes, one being historical import and one being entertainment value, and both are on five-point scales. I'm just going to break the ice and jump in with mine. Probably going to be relatively uneventful given what I just said. I'll start with the bad news, and I'll say on entertainment value, uh, to quote the 9mm podcast, one of my faves, definitely give it a listen for movie reviews. I'm going to give it a five banger, as they say. I think wow, five banger. It's on entertainment value. I just, I just cannot get over how much I love the character. I mean, I just could watch them all day. I mean, for all of it, you summarized it better than I did, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but I just can so commiserate i just think they're such great people i want to hang out with them i want to be with them even the bad ones it's just like seems like so entertaining and but and real 
So just for that alone, gets a five. And then the action's pretty good and all that stuff too, which I don't give lightly. On the flip side, historical import, I can't realistically go above a 2.5. So I'm going to give it a five. 2.5 is the official Bradford rating of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So remind me again, for historical import, you gave Pacific Rim... A three, right? I think I gave it a 3.5. Okay. I'm pretty sure I gave it a three. Don't listen to the episode after this. Who knows what I get? <laughs> we'll call it 3.5. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So this is a little tougher for me, given that this has recently fallen off my letterbox top four. But I just want to reiterate that my... Top seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the entertainment value for me is definitely... At least a four and a half. Oh, four and a half. It's a four and a half. Interesting. I was not expecting to go higher than you on that. Me neither. Well, I mean, it's the beauty of the two spectrum scale, you know? Yeah. Because a five banger for me is such a rare thing. I can't just throw those out like it's candy corn after a night out of Halloween, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, <laughs> such an obscure <laughs> but resonant analogy so i'm just gonna give you a five banger on the analogy right there yeah. uh because everyone always has too much fucking candy corn after halloween yeah nobody eats that shit um, <laughs> yeah i eat the little top the little white tops off the little white guy at the top yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh yeah, so on the historical import scale, I think it's a solid four banger. Wow. Okay. Because 4. I've obviously talked ad nauseum about the incredible animation style and how I sincerely believe there is a post Spider Verse renaissance in modern superhero animation. <laughs> hey. Hopefully, I can say that with fair. a straight face. Okay, well, as you know, we don't like goodbyes. What's uh, what's next on the agenda? How about the Florida Project? I heard that's good. Yeah. So next time we'll be covering A24's The Florida Project. That's right, we will. It's a in-depth documentary about the making of Florida. 